Today's episode is a little different, and we're so excited about it. I'm sure you are all aware of the racial injustices that are going on in the world. If you're not, then you need to be. The Black Lives Matter movement is alive, well, and still kicking ass. Change is needed, and we're here to talk about it. As allies, it's our duty to educate our fellow non-POC friends and family on what it means to unlearn racism, donate, protest, and progress so that equality is the new normal. That's what we're doing today. Instead of leading the conversation, we will be listening, learning, and reflecting while our friends educate us on what it means to be a Black person in America and what it means to be a true ally. In this episode, we will be releasing our platform so that two of our close friends, Manny and Alexis, can speak on their personal experiences as well as giving allies the proper tools to address their biases and prejudices. We are so grateful to have these two on the podcast. I went to school with both of them, and they are incredible artists, activists, and friends. We spill it. So you'll spill it. What will it be tonight? Red. Or white. A Zena blender burgundy. Drink wine. Spill tea. All right, so we're going to kick it off to my good friend, um, queer activist, recording artist, and entertainer extraordinaire, ladies and gentlemen, Manny Monroe. Hi, guys. Hi. Uh, thank you, CJ and Jamie, for amplifying these Black voices in your community today. I really appreciate it, and um, I'm happy to be here. I want to kind of start with a little story about uh, racism. Uh, as I experienced it at our university, Southern Illinois University, um, you know, a while ago, we started the conversation where like Alexis and myself and a bunch of other students started to challenge the systems that we saw in place at our university during our time as students there and, you know, still hear about that are going on today. Um, and you're starting to see this like this all over the world now. Um, people are challenging their institutions. People are challenging their artistic communities. People are challenging their work communities um, because we all really have to do better. Um, so I want to tell this story of my freshman year uh, studying theater at Southern Illinois University, which is for the most part, I would say a pretty welcoming kind of school, right? Like, you know, um, but freshman year, I remember being at a theater party and it was a party for like, you know, at the end of the show, everybody's there. We're like all partying and celebrating this production. Um, I was a freshman. I get a little drunk and I'm with a bunch of my um, friends who are white and are older. They're all juniors or seniors. And uh, I got a little drunk, so I kind of passed out. And I remember being able to like hear what was going on, but just, you know, how you're in that place when you're laying on the floor and you're like, I can't move y'all. All I need is this couch and some water. Um, and a prominent senior at the time who was going to be in the upcoming spring show, um, I remember saying, and I quote, Somebody get this off my floor and get him out of here. And I remember it being a really sobering moment because it was the moment where no matter how drunk I was, I knew that I wasn't safe. And I was lucky to have a lot of other people in the department at the time who were seniors who all like 
jumped to my defense and were like, we got to get Manny out of here. This is not a place that he needs to be. Um, it's not safe for you here. And I remember the day after in the coming days approaching our department of theater chair, the chair of the department who was to be directing the show where this particular student was playing a lead um, in the show Reasons to be Pretty. And I remember our faculty chair coming up with every reason as to why at first it was that he didn't say it. And then after having further conversations with this person, he said, well, you know, he was drunk and just coming up with every reason he could to excuse one of the most ugliest things you can say. And I think it was that moment that I knew the university would only stand up for us so much. We were only cared about so much because, you know, there have been many things that have happened. And we, we, I remember our goal when this was happening was to see some kind of like the university say like, he should be taken from the, he shouldn't be allowed to finish this role. He shouldn't be allowed to perform on the main stage his senior year. I had to sit back and watch him, not only watch him in the show, because I had to write a paper about it. So I had to attend the show. But not only that, but I had to watch as this man was glorified um, at the end of the year celebration awards ceremony that we have called the Archies, on which I was a committee member all four years. So there was never any accountability that was made responsible for that person. He was never made responsible. He was never, there was never anything done about it. It was swept under the rug. And some other faculty heard about it and they were pretty upset. But I remember the chair of our department, who if I'm not mistaken, was also in the same fraternity as this boy. And you just look at these things and you, you, you hope that a university that claims to care about all of their students and support all of their students would do something about this. But he did. And I think it was one of the, it was that moment on, I think in my four years that made, helped me want to create an environment where another student would never have to feel like that, where another student would never have to go through anything like that. But that was my first experience with our faculty, our head of our department at my specific university dealing with racism and that's you know they people joke that you can smell the racism when you get off the Amtrak in Carbondale it's not a joke because it's true you know when the near the nearby sun, sun downtown of Anna Illinois is well known and what those words mean look it up you know um so that was a story that I wanted to tell because Previously, you know, when Alexis, when we started like coming at our university and we were starting to like demand change and we were starting to like when everything was kind of picking up steam and everybody was like, something must be done. We demand the university take action. People, there were so many students that were coming forward and speaking about their experiences. And in that moment, I actually didn't say anything. You know, I was there to facilitate just to make sure that everybody else got a chance to speak about their experiences and all the things that, you know, I wanted to make sure everybody was heard without 
sure I had my own experiences. Sure, I have many more stories to tell, but I really wanted to make sure in that moment that everybody else got to say their experiences. And, you know, it, it's helpful when you hear other people because then you're like, I'm not alone. These things happen to me, too. What does the university plan to do about this? And, you know, these kinds of things that we're talking about, like we're talking about our specific, like the way that we are challenging these systems in place at our university. But like people can take these lessons and challenge any system in which they feel is unfair or unjust. And that's kind of what I'm hoping that at the end of this conversation we can walk away with is that people who intend to ally themselves can really make sure that they leave with the proper tools to confront their own biases and prejudices and racisms and things that are uh, built within them themselves because it's going to happen, right? Like we're going to get called out. I've been watching so many different communities, Chicago, the Chicago black drag council and the Chicago drag community just held a town hall last night in which they were directly challenging some of the figureheads of the community in which they felt had been unfair and unjust. And it was incredible to watch for many reasons. And so I think that that's the only way the work is going to continue to be done for people to keep standing up and saying enough is enough. And this is what I have to say about this. For sure. Thank you, Manny. Thank you so much. Yeah, that that story is <clears throat> not. Um, <laughs> I hated hearing it the second time. <laughs> <laughs> especially because it's something that's so like. I mean, there are so many, I was listening to all of the stories and I don't want to invalidate anybody's experience. I can't, you know, I simply, nothing I could say could do that uh, because, but you hear so many stories of like, oh, well, it's in the way this person cast their productions or it's in the way this person showed favoritism, right? But those are like, I mean, little things that have big effects. We're talking about like, a really strong racist comment, a really strong display of racism that completely went unchecked, that completely went, that was uh, allowed to happen. And if anything, I was made the more difficult, I was made out to be the more difficult student because of it. All right, and next we're going to talk to my good friend, Alexis Wokaji. Hey, girl. Hey. She is also an actress, singer, dancer, activist. Perfect person. Period. Period. Perfect human being, voice of an angel. I've never done anything wrong or hit a wrong note. Ever. Ever. So, hi, guys. Uh, my name is Alexis Wokaji. Thank you, CJ and Jamie, for having me. Um, I went to school with CJ at Southern Illinois University, Carbondale. We studied musical theater together. Um, and I just want to just talk about um, the school, Southern Illinois University, Carbondale, and our program, and how you can also urge change um, in your programs at school. Um, so both my parents went to HBCUs, historically black colleges. But however, I was raised in an all-white town, um, went to an all-white elementary school, middle school, high school. So it was only right in my mind that I would go to a PWI simply because I was not mentally ready for that for a, that big of a culture shock from seeing all-white faces to literally seeing all-black faces. You know, I decided in that time, in that time that it was best for me to go to a PWI. It's, it's, it's interesting because I had gotten so good and am so good at code switching, which is 
a device that was, you know, coined in like 1954, I think. Um, and it's a device that black people use to help themselves assimilate to white culture. Um, if you lack the ability to code switch, then opportunities will, you know, not come as easily to you, which is just the sad reality of this world. You know, a lot of people use code switching to get jobs, to save themselves from the police, to properly tell doctors or nurses what's going on with you, to, you know, literally every single thing. You can use code switching and you'll you'll be looked at as someone that is more palatable, more acceptable in society. Um, so SIU was mostly fine for me because I was so good at code switching. Um, but it wasn't the case for my fellow Black counterparts who had traumatic experiences, like what Manny just said. Or I had, I had a friend named Adrian that had a terrible, terrible experience. So just the reason that this even all spurred, I, I, I took to Twitter and I was like, there are so many Black voices in the program that could have been so good, um, that could have been, you know, amplified and and cherish for for their talent and for for their ideas but they weren't their potential was stifled by the program and there have been so many black students in the program that have graduated and don't even think that they are good enough to compete in the industry so they just don't do anything with their degree and I think any institution that does not work to inspire all of their students should be dealt with the, the Black BA students, uh, and BA is just a Bachelor of Arts. They're just um, theater arts students. The Black students there were just, they were seen as more of an obstacle. They were seen as the butt of jokes. I've witnessed so many times where they've been laughed at for how they talk or what they wear. or They were just not looked at for their talent or their potential or their star quality. And that just that hurt my heart. So I took to Twitter and I was like, mm, let's talk about it. So with, with musical theater and theater in general, it's really interesting because if you study theater, you're automatically going to come across a group of people that are more affluent, you know, especially with musical theater, because our program was audition only, but the theater program was not. And so obviously the audition only program is going to have majority white students. And the Black students or Hispanic students are going to be a, a bit more affluent than the theater arts students because of how much it costs to, you know, do applications for each university that you're going to audition to. And then musical theater programs themselves have an application fee as well. So to be able to not only pay for those, but also go state to state driving or, or flying, that's going to acquire a level of, of affluence that sadly a lot of black and brown people don't have because we are generationally behind when it comes to, you know, fiscal matters and when it just comes to money and privilege. So that's why you're going to see programs that, you know, are majority white and have less POC, have less Asian, less Hispanic. You know what I mean, Manny? I feel like you're good at it, too, because of the opportunities you've received. Yeah. I mean, I was also afforded those opportunities, right? So, like, my face is on a bunch of, like, stupid banners at SIU, and I never received a dollar for it. And I was, <laughs> you know, 
I was the token. I forgot about that. You were literally the- on the posters <laughs> where you literally walk into the comments of the university. Like, right when you drive onto the campus, it's like, Manny's face. <laughs> yeah, right? But that's... but. But then you think about like tokenism and you're like, that's just a black face. So other, I mean, it's, I see both sides of the coin. I see representation where it's like, damn, look at that. Like young black gay student. If he can do it, I can do it because it's the students like that before me that made me want to even do anything as far as the arts or whatever are concerned. You know what I'm saying? You come in and you see somebody like you, you're like, damn, I want to do this. I want to be like that person. But then also you think like, why isn't, why aren't these opportunities evenly distributed amongst all of us and it's difficult and especially in theater because a lot of it has to do with your talent and I think people like us our talent was undeniable so it'd be really hard to not utilize that talent but you know utilizing that talent isn't enough it's about what we are on that stage doing what we are on that stage saying and I can't believe a university that puts it in their curriculum before they do any production They ask themselves, why this show for this theater at this time? I can't believe a university that built their beliefs upon this picks some of the works that they picked. Um, Next year, what are I think Grease is happening? Do we need to see that? (laughs) Yes. And I love Grease. Don't get me wrong. Grease is a bop. It's like the third time they've tried to do it, too. Like, give it up. You know what I mean, though? Like, do I need The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe? But never fear, we get our representation um, in February. The second kind of story about the university, which was, so like I mentioned, we have two student organizations on campus, which were, you know, student ran, student led, student started, like it's us. And the first, which was an organization that was already in place before any of us were students, which was the Africana Theater Lab. And I remember that organization always kind of being like known as the black kids who didn't really do much. It didn't really have a lane that was uh, uh, for people who did what I did, which was also sing and dance. Like, of course, acting was always a passion, but I had many passions. And, I, you know, Africana Theater Lab, there was nobody was singing and dancing on the Africana Theater Lab stages. Therefore, I didn't want to be a part of it. And a lot of people didn't want to be a part of it. But they didn't do as many productions. And so that's why we started an organization like Fierce, because it was the content that we wanted to see from the people that we wanted to see doing it. Starting that organization, Fierce Musical Theater, you know, I remember the excitement from the university. There was some some pushback about like you guys are adding on more. We already have given you enough with your course load and everything, but you guys are just adding more responsibility onto yourselves by I mean, you guys are trying to student run two productions, one each semester. I just remember how easy and how excited the faculty was for us to put up this production. And then a year later, I was no longer on board at the organization with Fierce Musical Theater, but I was now the president of Africana Theater Lab in my senior year. And I'm sitting in my theater 400 just days after Eric Garner and watching the video of him standing on the New York street saying, I can't breathe. And so just the response from the university when we put together this show entitled, I Can't Breathe, The response from the university, even on just like things like renting a space, whereas I could walk in the office and say, hey, Fierce Musical Theater would like to rehearse in this space tonight. Okay, no problem at all. Right. Whereas, hey, Africana Theater Lab would like to use this space tonight for rehearsal and probably like four other things because we needed the space because we were not getting that from anywhere else. 
we had to jump through so many hoops and it was just made to be more difficult for that organization to succeed. And then when the organization started to clap back at the university and say, well, why is it so difficult for us to book the space? Especially when I, as a, pe- a member of Fierce, know how easy it is for an organization to do this. You know, then it was, I'm being difficult or it's my problem or it's like, they, they turn it back on the university and it's just like, I can't, I hope things like that aren't still happening. And, you know, I think Alexis and I are trying to make sure now that the university is doing what I think anyone should do when confronted, which is acknowledging in ways they were complicit and acknowledging the ways that they fucked up. Then we want to see action, right? It's not just like, I hear you, I see you. It's I hear you and I see you. I feel you. I understand. I agree. And I plan to do these things because of it. To ensure that it never happens again. Ever. Yeah. So that's what I want to talk about for sure. Um, I'll let you kind of jump in on that before I go into like the different things that I want to say about that specifically, about what I think that people need to unlearn and learn when dealing with this. I agree. I think complicit is is the word because, you know, not everyone's going to completely be able to understand what life is like from the Black perspective. But it's more so seeing things and being like, oh, that doesn't seem quite right, but I'm just going to, I'm going to sit here and I'm not going to say anything. That's, that's complicity. And I just, I, like, the, the shows that they choose don't even, you know, reflect the, the people of the program, you know? And they, they, are, they always are like, we're just trying to see, like, the options that we have casting-wise to choose the show, the upcoming show over the next year. But it's like, okay, Peter and the Starcatcher is, like, an all-male play and one female. That's how it's been traditionally cast, right? But it literally doesn't matter who is in it like it could be all female it could be half the cast could be gender non-binary if we had gender non-binary at the people at the school it doesn't matter what race doesn't matter what gender you are it could have been anything but of course it was all white guys and a black token guy that was known for eating too much he was the character that was literally the laughing stock because he was lazy and he ate too much why is that the one character that you chose to cast him as? And of course he took it because that was his only role for, of his entire four years of being at SIU. And of course, these the group of white boys that were favored by um, one of the faculty members, I, which I've heard is like very popular like nationwide at a bunch of different programs. There's like a group of white boys that are praised because they are white and male and masculine presenting. All those boys, of course, were cast in the show, every single one of them. And then there was the token black boy who did a great job at the role, but you cast him as basically someone that was lazy, which is a which is a very common troop of black people since minstrelsy. So it's just not a surprise that the white faculty member that has a favorite group of boys that are also white, cast the black boy as that role. It's just like not surprising. One of the faculty members was like, after I told her, like I, I asked her, are you aware that there's a group of boys that, 
that are white and get better treatment than everyone else and enrolled in the program. And she was like, I was aware of it, but to call it evil, I'm not sure about. That is like so insane. Like you literally normalize a group of white boys that get better treatment than everybody else. Like in history, what does that sound like to you? What other groups in history are all white men that get better treatment than everyone else? I'll wait for it. If you thought of the KKK, did you think of the KKK? Anyone else? Yeah, you're totally right. That's not normal. Why is the KKK seen Indeed. as normal? But, but but this is seen as normal. And to look at it as being normal is just shows how deep white supremacy is ingrained in our society and in our education. And that is just not okay. It is not normal. I mean, any like college is a, is a time for people to really immerse themselves in knowledge. But why are we being complicit in this? Why is there fight back on that? It's an opportunity, like everyone's paying the same tuition. Like you're taking the black lives and using them as diversity numbers, but you're, you don't even have the balls to put them on the stage and have them portray life and have them be able to, to showcase what they've learned because you didn't, you were too lazy to actually help them in class. You're literally using them as a diversity troop and then taking their money that they're paying from tuition and putting it into your program to further the white boys. If that's not institutionalized racism, I really, I really don't know what it is. That shit is not normal. It's- and it's that thing that the university says where it's like, oh, you'll never be considered for a role like this or you shouldn't look at roles like this because those kinds of black stories don't exist. And it's like, what are you talking about? Freaking fiction. This story was drummed up in someone's mind. Like, that world is completely fictional. It doesn't matter what the skin color is. It's not even relevant about, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Just like, I don't know, females have played, you know, Peter Pan. It's like, it doesn't, it obviously doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman playing. Yeah. So why does it matter if it's a, a white man or a black man or a black girl or whatever gender, whatever identity you choose, it doesn't matter. It's just, I think as a theater community, we have to move past those norms. It's it's so, it's so divisive and it, it, it does nothing but diminish our art. But yeah, complicity in the program was, it was, it was huge, including myself and my friends and the faculty. Um, but it, it's time to unlearn, like you were saying, that, you know, white supremacy is not normal. We have to work towards dismantling it in, in every institution in every single possible way. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that this is the hard work, everybody. So it's time to like roll your sleeves up and like get to work. But this is the hard work. And I have posted, I've been very vocal on my Facebook recently just about like everything that's been going on. And because not only have I been challenging, you know, my college institution, but I challenged my high school the other day on Facebook. And just like, listen, I want to be clear. I will challenge any system in which I see that looks unfair, period. Yeah. So I'm coming for you. But I asked myself how in two instances on both of my Facebooks uh, posts that I made, um, <laughs> I had a white man comment and tell me that my language was divisive or angry or that if I only diluted the message or made it more palatable to them, that I would, you know, the phrase you catch more bees with honey, right? 
Right. So I, I've had so many white people tell me, this is how you should say it. This is how you should be. This is how you should be angry. You can be angry, but only angry enough to peacefully protest. Right. But then they like slandered Colin Kaepernick when all he did was like took a knee, which is a peaceful protest. Right. So it's like, I don't want to hear how my message needs to be palatable to you. Your job is not to invalidate my experience. Your job is to amplify my voice, to listen and to take action. And I wrote three words down um, before this or three like phrases down and they are weaponized white fragility, white savior complex and performative allyship because that's the reason why I'm here today on Drink Wine Spill Tea. I would like to address those three things. I'll start by saying this episode of Drink Wine Spill Tea is not performative. CJ and Jamie have taken a step back. They're listening and they're amplifying the voice of two people who are here giving emotional labor and doing the work of, you know, we're explaining or, or giving our perspectives that can maybe shed some light to help someone moving forward in a difficult conversation about racism. That's why we're here. Um, you know, miss me with your Instagram challenges, highlighting one of your black friends every week. Miss me with... <laughs> It's performative. It really it's is. mad. It's mad performative, and it's not actually doing anything but killing your white guilt. Don't ask me at work what do I think of what's going on in the country right now. And I get it. Is that people? There are people want to have these difficult conversations, and if you don't have anybody that you can turn to to ask these questions to or to have these difficult conversations with, you should first ask yourself, why That's is that? That's a problem. And second <laughs> of all, you should not make it the responsibility of any black person to educate you to speak for this movement and what is going on because you are requesting a lot of emotional labor and it can be really taxing onto that person. And however that person responds, you especially should not attack that person's approach as divisive or angry because you don't like the way the message of racism is being explained to you as it has been experienced by this black person. Period. Nor is every black person's experience the same. So if you hear one thing from one black person and you hear something else from a different black person, that is just that person's experience. Exactly. And they are all valid and they all matter. Every single black life, every single black trans life. Period. So that to me I want you to know that I see these things as an act of violence because the ramifications that can come 
to a black person for even speaking up. The shit I could probably get for even everything I've said on this show alone thus far. I'm sure somebody will say, well, if you said it like this, maybe more people would have felt you or understood you or whatever it is, you know? But that is the one thing that I just really want. If you are listening to this right now, please, 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 if someone decides to approach you, because it's going to happen, right? We all make mistakes. We all say things. We all are ignorant sometimes to things. But the amount of people who have just like come to me and have displayed one of those three things that I said, like have come to me looking for me to kill their white guilt or did not like the way I was so angry about systemic oppression or the performativeness when I call it out as performative and they get upset. The amount of people, you don't understand how taxing that can be on a person. You don't understand just like how that can affect them mentally, emotionally, and physically. That is, to me, unacceptable and an act of violence because you see it all the time. I mean, we literally see it every single day. It's just not right. So that's what I have to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I just want white people to do better, period. But I also want white people to do better when confronted with their biases and prejudice, because I think right now is a time where so many people are like, we're going to smash every single ceiling that exists right now, every single glass ceiling, like we are going to, and I want y'all to keep doing it, keep smashing it. Let me know if you need a hammer, because I got them. Like I, I, I want it to keep happening, but the responses are what's really to me right now, when these people who are being confronted, the amount of people who are not listening and responding, it's, it's mind-blowing, y'all. Truly. But isn't that always the case? You know, they're, they, like, people have been ignoring the death of Black lives since the beginning. I, I remember in college when Ferguson happened, and we would literally, like, sit down, get our food, sit down in front of the TV, and it was just breaking news. And we would see the riots. And then a couple days later, I'll see someone else was killed. I, would just, I will never forget... Sandra Bland, and I'll never forget Philando Castile and Eric Garner. Philando Castile, we literally saw, I I saw his death on Facebook, Facebook Live. It was trending all over my Facebook, and he was was compliant with the police. Like, he, he was doing everything that the police told him to do. Like, the police was literally shouting at him to get out his driver's license. And once he did, he was shot. And his daughter, his own daughter was in the, the backseat. I don't think that I, I don't think that that's something that you'll ever forget. It, that sort of trauma of seeing your dad get murdered in front of your face by the police. I think that's absolutely terrible. So it just, it just makes me wonder why now? Why George Floyd's murder? Why, like, why wasn't it even with Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor? Um, it just, it just, I'm thankful that people are waking up. But I just wonder what about the death of George Floyd? And 
maybe it's because we're in a pandemic and a lot of people are within themselves right now and mm. and are that have they have more time, you know. But it's just I'm happy that, you know, people are waking up, but it's just really sad. <laughs> um from the pandemic happening to Amy Cooper to Ahmad to George, I think it was all too much. And I had a friend, his name is Nathaniel Washington, say this the other night, like, you're telling us to be within our homes, but you're going inside of our homes and killing us still. You're finding, you're finding the time to, to put your knee on people's necks, even during the pandemic. I've had to reach out to people and, of course, they're like the, the white girls I went to high school with or the white girls I've had contracts with, summer stock contracts. And I'm like, hey, girly, like, where are your posts? <laughs> How are you? Where, where are your posts? <laughs> and their reply is always, social media isn't the end-all be-all to activism. But it's definitely part of it. You know, and they, they use the excuse, I've been watching documentaries and movies and reading books. If you're watching documentaries, movies, and reading books, then you should be even more upset. Therefore, using your platform more so than ever before. Like, why now are you posting selfies and margaritas? And like, I've seen your face a million times. Like, why do you think the picture of a margarita is more worthy than, than you know, facts about how black people are being killed across the world? Like, like that, that person, and then if you go to their profile, they'll have a thousand, two thousand, four thousand followers, but still refuse to say anything. I don't know. I think, and it's, those people are so vapid and honestly, I hate to say it, but a lost cause, because if you don't get it now, you'll never get it. Silence is violence. And if you're choosing to be ignorant and then that's, that's on you. And that alone is coded in, in racism and the most dangerous form of racism, racism where you think that you're above it. So you don't think that you can be the change. And that should be your education. That sh- you should want to share your knowledge of these things with other people. You know what I mean? Put it like this. I don't want you to come up to me looking for a high five because you told off your racist aunt who voted for Donald Trump. I'm happy you did that. But don't come to me like, look, black person, I did something good for you today. Just do the good thing. Just do the good work and keep doing it. And part of the work, you know, confronting your racist family members and your racist friends, but it's also asking the right kind of questions and having the right conversation. It's not just, um, black, why do people, why are black people treated this way? It, it should be why for so many years have white people acted this way? Why have I- Why have I allowed this treatment? Why have I allowed this treatment? Why have my parents allowed this treatment? And why is it so normalized? That's the conversation that you should be having. Not like, I don't know why so-and-so got, you know, treated this way. It should be, why have I treated this person like this in the past? Why do I see that as normal? Why why has this system protected my point of view and not, you know? Black Twitter is the greatest. And Black Twitter said, I saw a tweet that said, white supremacy won't end until white people see it as a white issue that they need to solve and not a black issue that they need to empathize with. Because you are white, you have racism coded in your language and every 
in every single choice that you make. Because you are white, literally, the system has protected you so that you don't see the inequalities that happen to the Black people in this in this country. You know, racism isn't a Black issue. Steer the conversation from Black people and onto yourselves and the white people that came before you to make this all possible. This is y'all's work. Because I truly do believe that white supremacy is a white issue and that cannot end until white people see it as a white issue that they need to deal with and not a black issue that they need to empathize with. Period. You know? It's okay to have questions, but the, the invalidation of other black voices during this time needs to stop. Especially if you were telling a black person, well, I don't like the way you said this about this. Like, I'm sorry, but so what? So what? That, that's because there's so much anger connected. That's because there's so much emotion tied to that, that they're gonna be a little angry. You know what I'm saying? A, 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 a little anger ain't enough. That is the one reason why I wanted to reach out because I just, I know so many people think that they're even doing the good thing by reaching out and saying like, well, I just think that if you said it like this, you could, the message would be better heard. And it's like, well, I just think I should be able to speak freely and say whatever I want about this experience because I'm speaking from my own experiences and I'm speaking from a place of hurt, of a place of a person who has been affected by this. And your job is to listen and respond to that, not and to take action to make sure that other people won't feel like this. But instead, what you focus on speaks volumes, right? And so like, just know that like, black people are listening. We are listening to what, like, I hear you. So if I make a post about the cops who killed Breonna Taylor, if I make a post about that and all you have to comment on is the language that I'm using, that speaks volumes to you and your beliefs, because that's what you chose to bring out. That's what you chose to respond to. Not the injustices, not the, not the racism. You chose to respond to a specific part of that. That speaks volumes. So think about that before you try to tell somebody anything about their black experience. You have no place you are wrong. They are right. Listen to their experiences, period. Practice that. Unlearn that. Learn the ability to be able to change your perspective. You saw it this way? Well, I'm telling you it's this way. You may not agree. And we can talk about it. But don't, don't tell me that my experience is incorrect or not real. And I don't care what article you found on Fox News that'll tell you otherwise. <laughs> period. You know, you should count how many times period was said in this episode. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I feel like if, if this were a different episode, that would have been the title. <laughs> period. But I like that every single time you lean into the mic and go, period. period. And then you're, you're, it's, like a, it's like the mic drop of podcasting. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I just want to say thank you so much and I so appreciate your life and your heart and your spirit and speaking so openly and freely and I just can't even tell you how much I appreciate that. So thank you. So you both mentioned that you took to Twitter or made a Facebook post which led to um, 
a discussion for our school. Um, I would love if you feel comfortable to just kind of like say what exactly like that, what was said that prompted the discussion and how the discussion went. Well, the conversation started not just at my Twitter, but my old face, Tanya De Leon. She is Hispanic queen that has been using her platform recently to um, highlight Black Lives Matter and Black voices. Um, and if you didn't go to SIU, you're not cool enough to understand the phrase old face. So basically how it works, it's a system at our school. It's really cute. Um, it's just basically a mentorship program where someone that um, has been in school longer than you, um, chooses a freshman um, of their choice who they think that they could be a good mentor to. And Tanya chose me, baby freshman me. And um, she posted and was like, hmm, why hasn't SIU or SIU faculty been posting about, you know, the things that have been going on in the country? Um, they've been very, really silent and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, she's actually right. So I took it to Twitter. I was like, no one at my school has said anything. A lot of things in our program are incredibly racist, like the treatment of the Black theater arts students and the, the treatment of the, the, the Black design students. And so many other people were posting underneath it. And I was like, ooh, this is getting juicy. And, and um, it became like this really long thread and people were favoriting it, retweeting it. And Manny messaged me over DM. He was like, shall we move this over to Facebook? And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, we shall. And then we moved it over to Facebook. <laughs> and Manny put a status up and was like, the silence of my professors and um, faculty like saddens me. Um, why haven't you gotten statements? Something along the lines of that. We had this Zoom call um, that the one of the faculty members was like, we should have a Zoom call. Come in today at seven thirty in the Zoom call, and we can all talk about everything that's going on. And the conversation still is not over. We're still in contact with them and we're still trying to make sure that there is reform in our program, you know. I wanted to give the university some time. Like I wanted that. to give them so. some time to just do the right thing and to, to, to make a statement. And I know that my original Facebook post that like the inciting incident was the fact that we were calling for a statement. Um, and I haven't responded to the statement or said anything about the statement yet. Um, mostly because I think it was not enough and because I think that the statement was posted in a way that doesn't really come from the department or look official. So it, it's just not enough. And we all need to become comfortable with saying like, these are our demands. These demands have not been met. We will be doing things. We will be putting systems into place where we will make sure that these institutions, these bars and nightclubs, these like these theaters, these, these, places, these industries in which we work are holding themselves to the standard that they, you know, everybody's going to post this statement. And then when Miss Rona is gone and we're all running the streets again, I don't want to, you know, this isn't a trend. This isn't just a hot button topic. You know what I'm saying? This is black lives are involved. These universities can't, a statement is only the first part. It doesn't end with a statement because those are just words. And y'all ever heard the phrase actions speak louder than words? Because if that's the case, then a lot of y'all are still silent. Period. 
This Zoom call was an absolute mess because it became like a conversation about white people and their issues. And it and, and it's it's crazy to me how you don't understand that you're hijacking the conversation and making it about yourself. In no way am I excusing instances in which faculty have committed uh, verbal abuse to other students or sexual abuse to other students or just whatever it is that other people were talking about the different things that have happened. But it's not my place to invalidate those experiences. But if we all get on a chat and say, let's talk about black issues and you as a white person come on and say, okay, I'm glad we, I have you here to talk about black issues, but I want to talk about you all hated my drag. Like, I'm sorry, but that's not why we're here. Hypothetically, if that that's, were, not, that's, that's, that's not why we're that's here. Dark. That is an act of violence. When one of my black counterparts explains her experience and how she sees the story and nobody says anything, but then 20 minutes later, when a white counterpart in the exact same chat says repeatedly what my black counterpart says and she is praised for it, that's a problem. When my faculty says right now, I wanna hear from the white people, about how they feel on this issue and about what their experiences are in a time where we're trying to every we're trying to hear every perspective but theirs. We're trying to hear other people's voices. Those are the perspectives, those are the voices, those are the issues that we've heard since the beginning of time. There black people are literally having a conversation about how A, black people are dying, but also B at that school, they didn't got, they did not get equal treatment because they were black. That does not equate how you did not like how people didn't like your drag. That is like something that you should deal with in another conversation. And I'm sure it's a real issue because you did not deserve that. But what does that have to do with anything about black lives? It was just disheartening that white supremacy was at play even in a Zoom call that was intended to be an open forum. I appreciate every single person that joined that Zoom call, but unfortunately the next conversation that we have must be a closed conversation because I myself in my own activism and just the way I have conversations with people, I'm just exhausted with white guilt and white saviors and performativeness. And I do not have the emotional labor to deal with it anymore. Um, it's mentally taxing to me. It affects my mental health. And y'all got to do that work on your own. And if I decide to check you, or if any black person decides to check you about something that they feel you did was inappropriate, incorrect, racist, or unjust, they're right, period. And it is not your place to negate any of it, exclamation point. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> You know, I just, 
I just really, that's like what I wanted to say. And also let me be clear that being pro-black is not anti-white. Cause there's so many people. Go ahead, Jamie. I, I felt it. She's like, I want to say something. And she just, she just said, praise the Lord. Because <laughs> I, I didn't want to talk in this, but I just think it is so ridiculous because my mom equated it to this. She was like, that's like going into, you know, a breast cancer fundraiser and getting up on a table and screaming, but all cancer yeah. matters. Like, no, like that's not, we're here to talk. Yeah, we're, here to we're talking, we're not talking about, we're yeah. talking about black lives right now. I just think yeah. it's so ridiculous. It's and if, and if you think about the term, like the phrase black lives matter, it's not anything grand. It's really just the basis of, of it. The black lives simply matter. And that offends yeah. people. That offends people to the point where they have to comment on Facebook posts, you know, where they have to comment on Instagram posts, yell it out. If that's if that offends you, you should be addressing that. But I, I know that we wanted to focus this combo on theater and the realm of education as an institution. But I think about the slaves that were free um, and didn't know. I just want to talk about Juneteenth because I know it's coming up and I know that it is an important holiday for the black community and, and a lot of people are just now finding out about it. So I just want to inform a couple people on what it is. So June 19th, 1865 is um, also known as Juneteenth is the day that slavery was actually abolished, which contrary to popular belief was two years prior. But a lot of people don't know that two years later, it was actually abolished in Texas. Um, so news used to travel so slow and the way that they would free slaves, they would go state to state. They didn't have, you know, the advanced mail system that we have today. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have cell phones. So they literally would have to take these long trips to go to each plantation. And of course, plantations back then were like tens to hundreds of acres each. So that would take a lot of time. So they would go to each plantation and be like, hey, you actually have to free your slaves. And so those people would be like, okay. And say you were from Alabama. So this, the slave owner would be like, okay, I have to free my slaves. What are we going to do? Because we still have to make money and they belong to us and we don't want them to be free. They, a lot of people from the South, it doesn't matter what state, moved to Texas because Texas was the last um, state, obviously, to join the Union. And they moved from those states to Texas. And by the end of it, Texas had over 350,000 slaves. Think about how many Black people there, there were then versus now. That was probably a vast majority of, of Black lives. Over 350,000 slaves were, were freed that day. Um, and at the time, it was, when it happened, apparently, there was a, a huge cry out. And, like, people were dancing in the streets and singing and crying. And it was just, like, as if a shackle had been, you know, released from their feet. And it was just... And a joyous day. So now we look at it in the black community as a joyous day. However, of course, 
slavery has continued past then because there was sharecropping and that's when they were sharecropping is basically slavery, but they were getting paid to do it, which was at a couple cents, um, which is much like fast forward to the nineties when they created mass incarceration, which is basically the same thing, except they're using black people who they deem as prisoners to do prison labor. And there's so many products that we use today that are, by prison labor. Um, so slavery is still going on and it's, it's heart wrenching and, um, a, a vast majority of people that are in prisons are obviously black people because the system is literally designed to enslave black people so that they can do prison labor. And, Obviously, I don't know a lot of people know this, but the prison system is private. It's not statewide. It's, it's, a, it's privately owned businesses. So it's all profit. And then fast forward from Juneteenth to now, where Black people's lives are still seen as disposable. We are, we're just desensitized to it all. So seeing Black lives just be thrown away. Police brutality isn't the only thing that is killing black people. It's also misuse of their lives in hospitals. It's also that black women not being listened to when they're, when they're saying that they're in pain. It's, it's crazy because so many people, I think there was just a study where they were, they were training two doctors just two years ago and the doctors that were, you know, newer, still thought to this day that black people don't feel pain and there's just there's just so much to unlearn i take it back even further the the story i'll never forget and the lives that cannot ever be forgotten to me i remember being in class with our professor and talking about I mean, our history books will tell you that what that uh, what they brought over slaves to this country, but they didn't bring over slaves. They brought over people with lives, with stories, with histories. They didn't bring over slaves. They didn't go to Slave Mart up the street and pick up some slaves. They went to a country where people existed, where they had their own culture, where they knew a completely different world and removed those people from their land. And I think about those people that Shagoon tells us that were on that boat and as they traveled, decided that death was the best option because they didn't even want to see where they were headed. Those people who are still in the ocean All those lives of people who thought death over enslavement. I think about those people. And when you think about those people, I mean, there's there's nothing else to say. Like, what do you even say after that? Black people are still getting killed. Like, which George Floyd. Um, I think the most chilling photo that I've ever seen 
is eight mothers who are, some of them are pregnant and then some of them were holding their babies in that, across their chest in a strap and then holding a sign. And it said when George Floyd called out for his mama, all mamas were summoned. And I've talked about this before and have gotten really emotional about it. Um, I think that is, if, if, if you don't see that and be like, yeah, like as a mother, I have to be with George Floyd because I can't look at a video of my child calling out for me. I can't stomach that. How can you stomach that? And his, it's crazy because his mama died two years before he died. He was calling out for his dead mother while he was choking on his own trachea and blood on the ground as three officers had their knees in his back. As a human being, can you imagine that vulnerability? Can you imagine that aloneness you feel? Humanity has dropped so low. So low, you guys. That this black man had to call out for his mama that was dead. To help him because he knew no one else would help him. terrible. No one deserves that. No one, de- no one deserves that. But to so many people, he did deserve it. So many people think that he did deserve that because he was not compliant with the police because he, you know, get, uh, gave the, the store clerk a counterfeit bill. It doesn't matter what you did prior to that moment, you no one deserves that. And there's just so much that we have to unlearn and there's so much that we have to learn. And I wish I had all the facts right now that I could just spit them out on this episode and this be the episode that fucking cures it all for everybody, right? But it's like, it's not that. It's, it's, <laughs> it's ongoing and it's continuing and this is just the beginning and We have to keep those kinds of conversations going, but we have to make sure that we arm ourselves with. And and matter of fact, I'm going to say I'm going to switch that and not even say we have to arm ourselves, but uh, people who intend to uh, to be allies need to arm themselves with the proper knowledge and how to do so, because I appreciate and I love everybody who has reached out and who wants to help and who wants to know what they can do and who who sees a real problem here and who may be called to action for the first time and who may be just waking up for the first time. A lot of us have been out here fighting this battle for a lot longer. So sorry that I can't make it more palatable to you or make it more uh, uh, watered down to you with a spoonful of sugar. No, you know, but I'm happy that you are seeing that there are problems that exist in our world and that you want to do something about it. But let's make sure that we're doing now kind of the right thing and we're all moving forward and being productive because a lot of these things, like those three quotes, there are those three words that are phrases that I mentioned, you know, those to me are the most counterproductive to the movement right now. And those are 
need to be dealt with. And that's the work that like, I can say this is much, hopefully this is the last time I have to say this, but, and I could say this as many times, like I could say this every single day, but it's really not gonna, it's like that quote I said from Twitter, it's really not gonna do anything unless you person, the listener are believing what I'm saying. If you are willing to commit yourself to the work if you are willing to say, well, I think that maybe this, okay, well, talk to someone who thinks otherwise or look up articles from someone who thinks otherwise. Check your sources. Really educate yourself on these problems. I don't want you to you know, say that I'm not a racist. I want you to be anti-racist. I want you to stop it wherever it appears in that moment, right then and there. I want you to be able to stand up for not only people in your life, but other people, it, it needs to stop where it starts. Like rip it out from the root. You have to, you simply have to. Black lives are at stake. Black trans lives are at stake. You have to do the work if you really care because now is the time. We gotta keep going. Because if not, if we don't keep going, it'll continue to happen. Thank you so, so much. Of course. I do want to, since you guys are on here, just want to be able to plug your social medias just so people can learn from you and see you. Um, you guys are both insanely talented and artistic and beautiful. So Alexis, how can people follow you on any platform? You guys can follow me on Twitter at StayWokes. Wokes is spelled with an X. And then my Instagram at Alexis, my first name, and then my last name, Wokaji. So at Alexis Wokaji. And you guys can follow me on Instagram at Manny Crush Monday. My Twitter is Manny Monroe underscore. Um, you can follow me on Spotify as well. Um, I do have some music that should be coming out in the next couple of weeks, you guys. I do have a couple of features that you can listen to. Well, by the time this episode comes out, maybe there will already be a song out. But as always, um, Manny Monroe underscore Twitter, Manny Crush Monday on Instagram, Manny Monroe on Spotify, and Manny Go 19 on Venmo. Yes. <laughs> Send me your coins. <laughs> I just want to thank Jamie and CJ for everything and just for giving up your platform to allow us to talk about this, to just continue learning anti-racism. It's, it's the only option because I don't, I don't want to bring a child into this world. CJ, Jamie, I don't know if you guys plan on having your own children one day and your own marriages, but I don't want our children to live in a world like this or see images like this. There's just so much trauma that, that comes with being black. So yeah, just keep doing the work. Uh, if you're if you're a white person, Hispanic person, Asian person, putting in the work to dismantle anti-racism, thank you. Keep donating, keep marching, keep using your platform for the greater good because our black lives depend on it. I shouldn't have to wonder if I, if I go outside if that will be the last day. Our lives depend on it. Um, me and Manny are, are pleading, please. You have to believe that the work that you are doing and that we are doing is for the next generation. Let that inform every decision you make from here on out. Thank you, Jamie and CJ. 
You guys are the best. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And cheers. Thank you.